Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's first letter to Timothy. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Timothy, let's stand together as we read our text. And the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, is encouraging him with these words Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Father, excuse me, the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, have, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And Lord, again, this is your word. Would you apply it to our lives? Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we just finished First and Second Thessalonians on Sunday mornings. And uh, those are Paul's earliest letters written uh, to the churches. They were going through some difficulties. People had come into the church and they were telling them they had missed a rapture. It was really messing with their minds and their hearts. And Paul was saying, you know, don't let people steer you wrong. The, the Lord will return soon in the twinkling of an eye. And then, uh, so he, he, he had to encourage the church, stay the course. In First and Second Timothy, or his, uh, to believe, believe to be his last letters that he'd written, and he's also encouraging uh, Timothy here to take care of some very important issues. I mean, there are some things that have crept into the church at Ephesus, and this is where Timothy is leading or pastoring the church here. And one of the themes, as I mentioned, whenever you get into a book, it has a theme, it has a purpose of why it was written. And if you look and you turn over to the third chapter of Timothy, look at chapter 14, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul wrote to him, he said, These things I write to you that I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that, and here's the purpose of this letter, that you may know how to, you, you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is a church, the a church of, the, of God, the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And so he's, he's telling the, the, the Timothy, and the, the letters will be read to all the church. So he's telling them, you know, the church should be a place of truth. You've got to have somewhere. It's not going to be found on CNN or CSNBC or anywhere like that. It's not going to be found on the Internet. But the church has to be, throughout the ages, the pillar of truth. They have to offer some the hope to, to a hurting world. 
And that's the place where you and I can go to, and we ought to be able to open our Bibles and say, God, give me that hope, give me that peace, give me that grace that I need. And this is what, uh, you know, Timothy is writing to him about, so that we may know how to conduct ourselves in the house of God. I mean, there's, there's a letter that, you know, we have that gives us instructions on how the church ought to operate and how we should have order in the church. God is a God of order and how we should have order in the church. And so the things that, you know, come up in the church, they're not left up to me or the, the elders or a committee, a vote, voting committee or anything like that. They're mandated by us. They're mandated through all the generations that the bride of Christ would look like the bride of Christ. Because, it, you know, it has a groom and the groom is Jesus. And when he's away, you know, he writes this letter on how we ought to conduct ourselves in his absence. You know, uh, it's just just typical that, you know, we see these things and God cares so much for us. He cares so much for the church that he leaves these instructions for us, for, you know, gener- as I mentioned, generation to generation. Um, so how we need to stick to these instructions and uh, and receive them under ourselves. And so in this epistle... Paul's going to encourage Timothy on several things. He's going to encourage him concerning doctrine that is set before him. And he's going to encourage him to stick to the doctrine. Don't teach any other baloney out there. Stick to the word of God. And not worry about people that are engaging with entertainment to try and draw crowds or other programs that may be enticing to the flesh. He says, don't go after those things. Listen, if Jesus isn't enough to draw people into himself, and uh, then we use, you know, churches will use other carnal methods. You're going to get the produce of carnal methods as carnal Christians. So what you want to have is you want to have the word of God. Listen, when, when you look at it, there's a world out there. Like I remember myself, uh, you know, before I was saved and I was thinking, how am I going to get rid of, how am I going to change my life? I don't know. And every man, woman, and child were born with this, this understanding. I, I believe that's in us, this, I, this hope that, what am I going to do with my life? How's my life going to change? I mean, you know, you, you might think you got everything together, everything's, you know, hunky-dory, but there's got to be some change. And then enter God into the scene. And Jesus is enough. He's the one that, to satisfy. He's the one to cleanse. He's the one to give us hope. He's the one to wash away all the hurt, all the pain, all the suffering, all the, the sins that we've ever committed and those who we hurt. He's, he's the answer to, to the problem of man. And so Paul's going to encourage him. He says, you know, you need to stick to teach no other doctrine. And then he says, you're going to raise up leaders. We'll, we'll get into these things, how to raising up leaders, how to take care of the widows, who, the, who are the widows of age and what you're to do with them, how to take care of the elderly. And, and you know, as I mentioned, correct doctrine and, and, and everything in that, in that measure. And again, this epistle, this epistle is written to Timothy so that, even for you and I, that we might know how to understand what Jesus has proven that he wants to see in the church. What is it that he wants to see as bride? How he wants to see us conducting ourselves in his absence. And so Paul, if you remember, he spent some time in Ephesus. That's where Timothy is. And he was leaving them and he gathered all the leaders together in Acts chapter 20. And he said this, you know, he brought them together for this necessary conference. Listen, I'm leaving. And he said in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 25, he said, And indeed, now I know that you all 
um, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see me my face no more. So this is really a sad time for Paul. He's leaving Ephesus. He loves these people. He spent a lot of time with them. But he's saying, you know what? You're not going to see me anymore. So the possibility is definitely here that we, you and I, won't see face to face again. Therefore, he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And he's writing this or he's speaking this to the Ephesian elders. A very important for every Christian is to have that full counsel of God, right? To have the word of God there. And Paul says, listen, and this time it was the Old Testament, but he's saying, I am not shunned to give you the full counsel. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock. Here's the warning. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you as overseers to shepherd the flock which he purchased with his own blood. See, it's not your church. It's not my church. It's Jesus. He died for you. Amen? He died for us. And so he formed the church. And then he says in verse 29, For I know this, and Paul was confident that this would take place, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves. And this is a sad statement, but within those own leaders, he said, um, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. Draw, uh, and then they speak these things to draw away the disciples after themselves. This is the goal of all goal of all false teachers. They will draw people unto themselves, not unto Jesus, but they'll draw them unto themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone uh, night and day with tears. And so for three years here, Paul is giving the church of Ephesus the full counsel of God, teaching them, weeping with them, crying with them, and, you know, just being with them. And he's teaching them the full counsel of God and knowing that after this time that he would leave, that there were going to be uh, wolves, savage wolves come in from among the body. That the, the enemy would have planted in there or they either that or they had their own idea on how things should be. They didn't take the word of God too serious. They took what they wanted to teach as more serious than what God had intended. They weren't going to lay their lives down. They were just going to draw people unto themselves. And that's what false teachers do. They want to get people, they want to get the attention. They want to be on the pedestal, if you will. And so, you know, you think about this. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's going to tell him, you know, you've got some work to do, young man. Timothy's about 30 years of age at this time. Here's Paul about 60 years old. And he comes to this place and, and uh, you know, he's saying, just, you got, you got to keep your eyes open. I talked to these guys about this, speaking of Acts chapter 20. And you know what? Satan will always wait for a time to bring in false doctrine. He wants to sneak it in somehow into the church that doesn't belong there. And he's saying, you know, you got to do something about it. It's so important that the sheep are fed with the nutrients that comes from God's word. And we want to make sure that that takes place. So Paul tells them, as it comes to pass now, just as I told you, there's some people that would come up now. They've, rise, they've, they've raised up themselves to be teachers of themselves or teachers of unhealthy doctrine. So look at verse 1 as we begin to open up. Paul, this is a greeting from Paul. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. So right away, Paul would, you know, these letters would be written in a scroll. And what Paul would do is he would take this, this and he'd say, Paul, I want you to know who it's from. You know, you have to undo the whole scroll and say at the bottom, oh, it's from Paul. Let's read it, roll it back up and read it. 
So he's saying Paul, and he tells him right away, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God. Listen, he's saying, Paul, just I want you to understand he's going to use his apostolic authority because he is a problem in the church that he needs to deal with. And he's telling them that this is direct orders from heaven. This isn't from from me. I didn't want to be. I didn't sign up to be. I wasn't voted to be by the, the congregation to be the apostle. But it's God has raised me up. God has called me to this. And, and you know, uh, this is what Timothy's doing as well. He's going to have to raise up leadership within the church. But, you know, it's, it's Paul wasn't an apostle because he was voted there. And he wanted the people to know that. Listen, I wasn't voted there. I didn't go to school to be an apostle or anything like that. But he was called by God. Called by God. And so the people that were going to hear this letter, the first thing they're going to hear is Paul. Uh-oh. There's an apostle. Well, then listen to him. And he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's by the commandment of God. So God has commanded him to be an apostle here. He's commanded him, and he's coming with the commandment of God to speak to the people in Ephesus. That, and you imagine, you ever you know, had a conversation with somebody, maybe your children, maybe your friend, and, and he said, you know, you, you warned them about something, and all of a sudden they... They hear you, but they don't really hear you. They go out and do it, and then all the, you have to reconnect, right? And you're like, what's next? I told you so. You know, we don't say that, but, you know, we think that. I told, I told you so. So Paul's coming to them with the commandment of God. And he says here, you know, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, our hope. Understand that there will be birds in the trees that will nest in the trees. The enemy will come and nest in the church, but Jesus Christ is the one who offers us true hope. He's the one that's the hope of the church. In reality, he's the one that's the hope of the world. The world has no hope. The economy's going to collapse one day. I'm all for what's happening, but it ain't going to last. And I'm all for the peace that we have, but it's not going to last. I'm all for all of these things that look good, but I'm telling you, my hope is not in the next election, the last election, or the future election. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And the church's hope should be in Jesus Christ. And we need to be fixated upon that, that he is our hope. And so Paul adds that in there, our hope. And then he says to Timothy, he says, he says to Timothy, a true son in the faith. There's this young man, like I said, young man, came to Christ, raised in the church, and he says, you know, you're a true son. Well, what would constitute that, you think? You know, a true son in the faith. He wasn't Paul's son. Well, we know that in the, in the second letter that Paul wrote to him in the first chapter, he, he greeted them and he says, I greatly, greatly desire to see you. He says, uh, being mindful of your tears that I, may, uh, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. And he's speaking of Timothy, which first dwelt, listen, in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, now I am persuaded is also in you. So here's one thing that, that leads to maybe his faith being genuine is that really that Paul saw Timothy raised in his heritage of a Christian home. His grandmother his, uh, was saved, a faithful woman. His mother was saved, walking with Jesus. You know, they have this genuine faith. And then Paul sees it in Timothy. 
but also it may have been when Paul visited Lystra on one of his missionary trips that Timothy would see the, the old guy coming into town saying, you know, preaching that gospel and being so right on, so direct, so let's get it together, you know, and people need Jesus to be saved that it may have struck Timothy at that time and he became, man, I've got to really be influenced in my own life and so it could have been that as well. But genuine faith too is a faith that is tested, isn't it? Genuine faith is a faith that is tested through time, through trials. It can't be your grandmother's faith. It can't be your mother's faith. It can't be any other faith. You know, it has to be our faith, your faith, my faith. You know, in, in the uh, three times we uh, in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle uses this uh, uh, Habakkuk 2.4 when he says, For the just shall live by their faith. By your faith. So like high schools and junior high, science your faith, or it's not your mom's faith, your dad's faith, They're their faith, thank God that brought you to church, but it's our faith, it's your faith, it's our faith, our individual faith that has to be owned by you. And it's going to be tested because your faith will be tested. You go to public schools, your faith is tested. And you got to be on it. It's got to be your faith, you got to own this. You go to college, you go to the, you know, universities out there, your faith is going to be tested. You walk outside of that door, your faith is going to be tested. And that doesn't matter what age you are. So he says in three times that Paul did, he uses that. You know what? The, the just shall live by their faith. And it's so important that you and I see this faith like in Timothy. That is a genuine faith. It's not a faith that is borrowed, not a faith that is, you know, uh, belongs to somebody else. And I'm hiding under the covering. It's a faith that is genuine. It's a faith that is a true son, a true daughter in the faith. And then look at verse 2. As we continue, he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus, and, and, and Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace is this typical, grace and peace are really a typical opening uh, uh, letter from Paul that he would write down. But here he adds mercy. It's interesting because grace is getting what you don't deserve. We don't deserve to be forgiven, right? None of us deserve to be forgiven. Grace would be that typical greeting if you walked over and he saw your neighbor, you say, Charis. What does that mean? He says, you know, you're doing better than you deserve. So as you hear around here, some of the guys, how you doing? They go, better than I deserve. That means they're being great. They have grace, <laughs> much grace in their life. But then mercy is not getting what you deserve. So because of our sins, we deserve to be eternally punished. But we have grace, getting what we don't deserve, and then mercy and the, and the and you know not getting what we deserve and, and we deserve to be punished eternally but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ we have grace and mercy so wonderful isn't it and 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 both grace and mercy are so necessary in the ministry as he greets him with this he greets young Timothy with these words grace mercy and peace he greets him it's so necessary that we operate with grace and mercy and peace in the ministry as Timothy's going to be you know told to go forth but you have grace and peace, uh, mercy, and then he comes to peace, and this means prosperity. But not in a way to where it's monetary, to where, oh yeah, I'm going to open up my wallet, bring my grace and peace, don't forget my, or my mercy, and don't forget my peace. No, he's really talking about here. It's a peace in your life in a general way. Are you able to lay down your head at night on a pillow and have peace with God? That if you're next, when you woke up, and if it wasn't on earth, would it be in heaven? Would it be, I've got peace with God? And the only way you can have peace with God is, is by, by receiving the grace of God. 
And that's what you, we have that grace that comes into our life. We're so wonderful. And then so, you know, then we receive the, the peace that comes with that. The peace of, I'm at peace with God because I received the peace of God and the grace of God. And so Paul writes here and he says, grace, mercy, and peace. And it's from, who's it from? Meaning the, the truth of these gifts can only come from God. People are searching the world for this stuff. A little more happiness and a little more, you know, house or faster cars or whatever. We're searching for some type of peace. Trying to find some type of comfort, some type of something. And they're miserable because it only comes through Jesus Christ. The true author of peace, the true author of hope. And so that's, that's where it's at. So then Paul writes here and he, he brings this charge to Timothy. Look at verse 3. He says, I charge you, as I charged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they uh, teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification. So here's a charge that Paul is going to charge this young man, and, and the charge is to, number one, he says, stay in Ephesus, remain in Ephesus. Look, it may not be easy, right? He's got, to, he's got to really clean up a mess there. There's something that just come into Timothy's life, come into the church that is so difficult, and you got people that are probably older than he is, maybe a little more wise than he is, and he's, you know, sitting there going, man, this wasn't really my mess, and uh, but i got to clean it up. Ever been there? I mean, here's a time when the enemy strikes and the bite hurts and it's uncomfortable, you know, and, and, and it's really difficult, but what Timothy is, he's to remain there. He's to remain in Ephesus. And, and, you know, I'll tell you something. We'll learn more about staying in a place where God has us, especially during difficult times, than we will by leaving. I was talking to a young man yesterday. He says, you know, I've heard this saying, the grass may be greener on the other side, but it still needs to be mowed. Is that right? We think, oh, this would be wonderful. This would be great. Go, man, this grass big. Listen, God, God has something for us, and he puts us in these situations or allows us to be in these situations that we might be the vessel that he uses. That here he's using Timothy, and Timothy, it doesn't matter how hard it gets, you're to remain there. You're to remain there. So we'll never learn the fullness of what God wants to do in us and through us if we just keep jumping ship or we keep sweeping things under the rug. You know, we don't take care of things. God wants to do a work not only through us, but in us. And we've got to trust him. And sometimes things get difficult, but it's still trust in God. We're going through a difficult time all through the church. You know, just a hurting of hearts, a comfort that is needed. But we're still going to trust in church. We're not going to go out and try new things to try and bring that comfort because it only comes from God. That true comfort only comes from God. And so, listen, we learn the fullness of God when we stay right where we're at at times. Isn't it true? Just stay there. And it's important to bloom where you're planted. And sometimes you may feel like you just want to give up. And in reality, it may seem that's like the easiest thing to do. You're like, hey, honey, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> I just thought, you know, we'd open a Bible and we'd start a church and then we'd just grow and everything would be hunky-dory. <laughs> but did you read this email? <laughs> or, you know, did you read that blog or whatever the case may be? There's always something coming up, isn't there? And, you know, is there, there's times that you just feel like you want to give up. And in reality, it's, again, it seems like the easiest thing to do. But here's the thing. 
In reality, it takes a committed, mature Christian to remain where the Lord has him. To be steadfast. God, it's not my life anymore. It's yours. We'll do what you want with it. And in the midst of discouragement that may have come uh, upon Timothy in this way, Paul says, remain there. Easy for you to say, right? No, just remain there. In the midst of the trials, in the midst of pressing, the enemy pressing in it, in, in the midst of all the difficult tasks that are there, things may be coming up, but, but he says, you know, they may not even be going your way. Don't look for peace in the ministry or peace in what God has you going through. Look for the author of peace. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And look, he tells, again, he tells Timothy, remain there, Timothy. Don't go. Don't take off. And listen, your Ephesus this morning may be your marriage. Remain there. Your Ephesus may be an emptiness that you think, well, I'm, I've just got so much going on in my life, I just want to check out. No, no, no. Remain with the Lord. Young people, they're, with everything going on in the world today, you know, we have all these things that are, you know, people that uh, want to cause commotion. And well, if these guys are thinking, the majority thinks this, no. Remain in the church. You don't know what you're going to do in your life? Remain with God. These things are so important. To remain, to be steadfast. And your Ephesus may be the ministry. Maybe you're in a ministry that you're in and you know, you're involved in. Things come up and it's pretty tough. Listen, remain. God's calling you to something. Did you know the, the, if God calls you to something, the enemy's going to be there to try and convince you to do everything you can to get out of it? It's just, that's just what he does. He's the... The, the accuser and the abuser of the brethren. This is what he does, right? I mean, if, if I thought that things were all hunky-dory, that whoo this is great. We were studying through Jeremiah. Jeremiah was going through the same thing Wednesday night, was he not? It's just the things that he go through. The heartache, it breaks his heart to see, you know, the people not listening, the people just going down the tubes, Judah not listening. It breaks his heart. So you might not, you might think that, you know, what Paul is telling Timothy to remain isn't that big of a deal, but he has to deal with some issues that have crept into the church. And when you're dealing with issues in the ministry, it's common to have, uh, you know, these issues pop up, but then you're going to have people to deal with. And in, in having to deal with issues, you know, you have, you know, people there and people aren't going to like what you have to say. And you got to understand, you know, you're going to be faithful to God or you're going to be faithful to man. And think about how Timothy, Timothy felt when he was told to remain there. I mean, right? Anybody ever want to just split, leave, quit, throw the towel? I remember several years ago, my wife came up to my office. She said, where are you going? We we're going through the biggest trial in my life. Where are you going? What are you doing? And I was packing my office. I'm done. I'm done. And I sat down and I said, Lord, I don't know where you're going to send me. I pictured myself going back to San Diego. I think I'm done. And I said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know, but I'm just taking off. Oh, so you're just going to be like everybody else, huh? I'm not called you to be like that. You see, when you go through trials in life, and you carry the burdens, you better get to know Jesus. Because he's going to be our peace. He's going to be our refuge. You see, God can't use quitters. And he can't use selfish people to serve in his kingdom. You see, if all we do is take, you know, take off when the battle strikes and think the grass is greener on the other side, then how is he going to teach us to learn to overcome through the situations and things that we go through? I mean, I tell you what, we were talking about this. I mentioned this uh, 
Wednesday night. But even in a place like this, I mean, uh, it's a beautiful day today. I'll be down here in five minutes just to enjoy the most sun I can get today. But, you know, it's like it rains here. And it's rained here so much. There's trees falling down. We had one fall down in the backyard of this church. But the trees are just falling over because the ground can't hold it up. It's just raining so much. And whenever there's a drought, people say, we need to pray for rain. I said, don't even do that. <laughs> I don't, you don't need to pray for rain. But, but listen, it's been raining for two months. I'm like ready to build an ark. I don't like the rain. You know, but it's not about me, is it? It's not about us. It's about where God has us and what he's called us to do and to be faithful in those things. And then Paul tells Timothy, he says, the second charge is to charge to teach no other doctrine. He uses this military language here, if you will, to, to combat a serious problem. He says, charge. It's like a, an officer giving a, a superior officer giving an order, charge him. I want you to make sure this takes place. See, Paul uses that word as a command. And eight times in these two letters, he'll use this as he writes to Timothy, this charge or this command. The idea was this, Paul was saying something like this. He was saying, Timothy, you're not only the pastor of the church in a difficult city, but you are a Christian soldier under orders from the king. Now pass these orders along to their soldiers in your church. See, Timothy needed to lead. The people needed to follow. And we don't, you know, when you look at a church, you know, when you look at Timothy, young Timothy, you're saying, well, you? he just showed up on the scene. What do you want us to do? He's God's man. You follow him. Follow him. So when you think about church in general, what is it that you look for? You know, a lot of people look for big classrooms for our kids, House of Children's Ministry. <laughs> I was watching this video I sent to Gabe, and it was like a drive through church. You can see it, and it's kind of corny, but it, it has people pulling up to the speaker and ordering I want a service today. I want it small. I want to clap. I want you to, I don't want too much standing just on the last song. Who's preaching today? No, I'm not going to be there. Then. Oh, no, no. Oh, they're going to, okay, I'll be, you know, it's like, what are you looking for in a church? You know, people will, will want so many different things in, in churches. They want, you know, well, it's, it's a choir or it's glass stained windows or it's someplace that wasn't a casino or whatever the case may be, you know, <laughs> just look at, I'm laying down a bed here, huh? <laughs> But, but this is what, what, what the problem, people look for so many things. They look for so many things from a church instead of what needs to be found in the church, and that is the Word of God by the Spirit of God. I mean, you know, believe it or not, there are many others who would prefer nothing to do with God's Word. They want to be entertained, and we're not here to entertain the wolves. We're here to feed the sheep. I mean, that's important. You come across, you know, passages that are hard to deal with. When you teach the full counsel of God's word, you know how to vote. The people will know how to vote. We wouldn't be having these controversies. If the church is as strong as it says it is in the U.S., and we taught the word of God like the way we're supposed to teach the word of God, then you would know how to vote by the, by the heart of God. And we wouldn't have to come up with these, oh, it's, I'm going to give you the best I can and do this, uh, you know, uh, vote, biblically vote. That was my Sunday before the last, not the last election, two elections ago. But, you know, that's just the thing. If you teach them the word, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. They don't want to know what, what, you know, I have to say that's funny or whatever. They want to know what God's word says. And so Timothy was at this charge to teach no other doctrine. Listen, don't let this stuff come in. 
You teach no other doctrine. Listen, when we go on a mission trip or men's breakfast, women's breakfast, whatever whatever we're doing, we want to make sure our youth group, children's ministry back there, you know your kids are learning? They're learning Jesus. They're learning the gospel. They're learning about the Bible. They're learning to have a relationship with him. I mean, that's important, right? Wherever we go. And some years ago, you guys remember, everybody was putting down the Bibles and advertising, picking up a book, so that we might make this some kind of a, a, a purpose-driven church or something. And it was like, everybody's putting down their Bibles and the marquees are all showing that we're going to teach this book and everybody's running to the book. It's crazy. You're running to a book. Got 66 books here. Man, it's taken me a long time to get through them, Mama. Second time through the New Testament, you know. But we have to be faithful to the Word of God. Don't teach any other doctrine. What's going to change the lives? What is the power to change lives? It's God's Word. What is the power to save? It's God's Word. And we need to be faithful to God's Word. And people need a real hope. And the only hope is through Jesus Christ and through the Word of God. That's where it's going to be. And so Timothy is, you know, you're instructed. Teach no other doctrine. Teach no other doctrine. You know why Christians have a tendency to fail to live for the Lord? They're not being taught the Word. That's one thing. But they're not taking it in for themselves is the other. So the responsibility... Because if I'm not teaching the Word or whoever's sitting behind this pulpit is not teaching the Word, you need to get out. You need to go. You need, you need to make sure that you're being taught God's Word. But then when you wake up Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, you know, you need to forget about Facebook and whatever else is out there, Instagram and all these TikTok, Body Rock and all this stuff. You need to make sure that you're in God's Word. You need to make sure that you're in the Word of God. You know, it's God's Word. Listen, as far as this correct, about correct doctrine, it's so hard to obtain correct doctrine when you're chicken pecking through the Word of God. I can come up and make it say anything. I'm going to be accountable for it. But that's what, that's what happens. And this is why Paul said that he had not shunned to tell them, to teach them the full counsel of God's Word. Who wants to go through Leviticus? I tell you what, we went through Leviticus on Wednesday night. It was awesome. We had a great time going through Jeremiah. Wonderful time. Guy has no converts, man, but we're just preaching the gospel through it. You know, it's just, it's wonderful. See, when we, when the church began and so many were added to the church, 3000 people were added to the church. You know, you think, man, that was good. That was a good day. And then it says, well, what did they do next? He says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine, the breaking of bread, prayer and fellowship. They, they, they continue steadfastly. Look at in Nehemiah chapter 8, when they, the guys got together and, and Ezra was reading the word, uh, you know, people were getting saved. People were coming forward. Their eyes were, they were just crying because it reminded them of where they were, how they got into, into this mess that they were in. And they come and they, they it said the first day of the week, they began to read the word. People were repenting, repenting, coming back to God. And it says, oh, now what are you doing? It said on the second day of the week or second day of the month, it says, that they found written in the Word what they were to do, and that was to build tabernacles. It was, they were to celebrate a feast. It's found in the Word of God. You see, they didn't get tired of the Word. They wanted it more. They were a quarter of the day. I might get stoned if I stood up here for a quarter of the day and, and kept preaching. Kept preaching. I'd be preaching myself. Back then, they were like, bring it on. I want this. Because they realized how, how far they were from God. And because of the neglecting of the Word of God, how their nation, and speaking of Israel, how their nation had gotten away from God. So, you know what? 
they didn't get tired of the word. They didn't wait for something to be added. They got back in the word and saw that the word was going to deliver them. The word was there to deliver them. The word had the power to deliver them. That's the word of God. And then the other thing that, that um, Paul tells Timothy here is he says, don't give in to these, you know, these fables and endless genealogies. Don't pay attention to these myths, these stories that aren't true. They hold no value. Don't get involved in that stuff. He says, because the people and their stories and their fables, they have no foundation to stand on. You know, and, and plus they only cause disputes. All of these things, these, you know, and, and this is a time before Gnosticism came out, but it was still, it was like, stick to the word, stick to what's, what's important. And so paying attention to these myths and putting their stocks and fables is like building your house upon the sand. And the problem is, is that there's going to be trials that come. There's going to be trials in your life. Everybody, I mean, I think Gabe asked, and my back was turning, but my hand was up. You're going through a trial. You're going through a hard time, difficult time. And I'm like, yeah, there. Well, fables aren't going to help you. The word of God is what's going to help you. We need the comfort of God. And sooner or later, the storms that are going to come and the foundations of our life are going to be exposed. And the sounding foundations are going to crumble. And so he said, don't listen to these genealogies. It doesn't matter if somebody says, you know, I'm from a Jew. I'm, I'm the Jew of the Jews. And, and they walk into the church of Ephesus and they think, well, you know, I got this or, or my genealogy. You, you don't know where I've come from. You know, I'm a PK. That's a punk kid. I mean, a pastor's kid. They say, <laughs> I say I got a couple of them, but not punk kids, but pastor's kids. But you have the... <laughs> You know, they say, well, my genealogy, I've never known what you know. And you're, you know, several years ago, again, another book came out. It was called The Red Book. They were raising kids. If your kids were in homeschooled, then you couldn't play with public school kids. It's like, what are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, well, our genealogy is better than your genealogy. Or our fables, you know, we're better. And I'm like, come on, that causes disputes. We're all one in Christ. We all need to be saved. We all need to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? We're all a mess without Christ. And so others might think that, you know, again, like they come into the church of Ephesus and that they're Jews, they're Jews, you know, and they're, you know, you should listen to us because we were before you and we have, we're closer to God than any of you guys are. And like, no, don't even go there. Don't buy into thinking that somebody's better than you. There's nobody better than anyone else except for Jesus Christ. No, there's no better education. There's no slicker, you know, dress, no whatever. We're all one in Christ. We all need one another. Plus... You know, you ever think about there's no favoritisms on earth from God? He doesn't look at me or you and say, oh, you're better than they are. I'm not so proud of you. No favoritisms. And when I think about it, there's only 24 thrones in heaven for the elders. Uh, then your name, my name's not on there. And there's only one that has a king of kings, and we're definitely not on that throne. So we're just all common people, right? <laughs> Saved by the blood of the Lamb. So don't get mixed up in all these fables and endless genealogies and stuff like that. I'm afraid to even spit on the swab and send it in because I don't even want to know where I'm from. <laughs> Paul says this. He gives now the purpose of the command. Look what he says. He says the purpose of the command, and he lists these motives. He says from a pure heart. He says first from a pure heart. See, if we don't have love, love from a pure heart, if we don't have love, then we need to check our motives. That's what he's saying. Many problems have crept into the church because of the teaching that they were keeping the law was more important than being, you know, to be right with God. It wasn't love, it was keeping the law. Paul says, no, don't go there. And Timothy, you're to take care of business in Ephesus. He says, make sure that love, this commandment is for love. 
What's the greatest commandment that you and I are to have? To love one another, right? If we love one another, then the people will know that we belong to him, that we're his disciples. And remember that in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So he says, the purpose of this commandment is from love, from a pure heart. And then he says, a good conscience. That's an untainted conscience. It helps to keep our motives pure. And then he says, this sincere faith. Again, the sincere faith isn't trying to please God through our works. We can't please him by, look at what I'm doing for God. Like, you know, it's like, no, that's not going to work. You and I, what a blessing it is that, that we're to come with sincere faith, just trusting God. And you know what that means? A sincere faith, it means without wax. The sculptors back in those days, they would, you know, build the sculptor of whoever, Zeus or Hermes or some of these Greek gods. And if the guy would go in there, he's chipping away and he would break off the nose. Some of them Greeks, you know, he'd break off the nose. You know, like a German. So they take off the nose and the guy would go, man, that's a lot of work I've got in there. I was just trying to finish the nostrils and I broke the nose. And what they would do is they would take a little sand, a little wax, and they would stick the nose back on and, and make it look good. The only problem was when they put it out in the sun, the sun would come through and melt the wax and the nose would fall off. <laughs> He's saying, you know, you want to have sincere faith. You don't want your nose falling off. <laughs> you know, and so... <laughs> It means without wax, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teached of the law. See, they had strayed not to grace, but from grace, and they were trying to tell people that you've got to keep the law, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. If you've ever been told that you've got to jump through hoops to get right with God, leave. Because it's only by God's grace that we are saved. And we're saved by His grace, not through works. Though our works will testify of the grace that we've received, we're, we're just coming to Him saying, God, this is what I need of you. Listen, they're thinking, or at least preaching, these guys that would come in there, they're preaching that they need to do things to make God happy. And they want you to make things, you know, you better do things to make God happy. This is totally anti-gospel. That's totally anti-gospel. Plus the reality is that Jesus paid the price in totality. That's the message we want to give. And he says this, understanding, these guys, he, understanding neither what they say nor things that they affirm, but we know what the law, uh, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous. So if you're born again this morning, the law is not made for you. The law, you're, you've been imputed, you've been given the righteousness of Christ on your behalf. But, he, but for the lawless, the insubordinate, for the guilty, the sinners, and the unholy, the profane, the murderers, the fathers, the murderers, and mothers, for the manslayers, for fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, if there be any other thing uh, contrary to the sound doctrine. See, what Paul says here is he lists 14 types, uh, kinds of people who were commended by the law. Again, the law is used and it has a purpose to expose, to retrain, to, uh, to restrain, and to convict the lawless. But listen... The law is there to show that you and I, how, how bad we missed the mark. You know, we, we can't do it. Anybody perfect? I'll take you to lunch. I mean, anybody never sinned? I'll take you to lunch. Right? Anybody walk on water? I'll take you to dinner. <laughs> but the law, the law is there and it shows us how much we missed the mark and the law can't save sinners. It only reveals the need for a savior. That's what it does. 
And some might think that, you know, why are liars in there? Well, liars, I mean, I've told a lie, and these are, these are, are murderers and, you know, homosexuals, sodomites, and, and adulterers. I get those guys, but what about me? If I'm just set a liar to you, what Paul is pointing out here is it doesn't matter if you miss the, the kingdom by an inch or by a mile. Without Jesus Christ, you're missing it. You know, you watch those shows where they, they have the, the guys, and I don't know why the guys always do it, but they're stronger. They throw the girl, their wives up and they catch them and they swinging with their legs attached to a um, you know cylinder or something and they're throwing them around. There's no net down there. And they're like, and if that gal misses her husband's hands by a centimeter of an inch, she still missed it. And she's going to the ground and she's hurting. And he's like embarrassed. And he's not getting dinner. They're not having no, they're not doing it. Yeah. But it's the same thing. You and I, when we miss the mark, it doesn't matter if you miss heaven, you go up to the, make a little turn. You say, well, I miss heaven by just a little bit. You still miss heaven for eternity. And so he says, you can't do it by that. You've got to come through Jesus Christ. When a sinner believes in Jesus Christ, we're freed from the curse of the law. We have Jesus Christ. We have him. He sets us free. And that's why it's important to preach no other gospel. You keep the word of God the main thing. It's a glorious gospel that saves lost sinners. Right? And Paul had experienced the power of the gospel. It's like so many of us have. We've, we've experienced that. I don't want to go back to this. It's nothing like, oh, you better start keeping the law now. Sometimes we do that when we blow it. And though we've been saved by grace and we've got to work our way to God. No, no, no. Cut it out. Understand that you come to him and you keep short records. You ask him to forgive you. He's for you're forgiven. But Paul said, as far as the gospel, he said, for I am, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and for the Greek also. For also for the Greek. Listen, God's word has the power. And this is why we want to remain teaching the word of God and, and bringing out the gospel. So important. Years ago, we were going through First Chronicles chapters one through nine. One night, you guys remember what's in there? Genealogies, genealogies. One night, six people gave their lives to the Lord. Why? Because in the genealogy of Lamb's Book of Life, their name wasn't there, and they thought, "Oh, I better get there." Oh God, I didn't have any application other than that. God had six sinners that needed to be saved. Look, somebody once put it like this. The law and the gospel go together. The law without the gospel is a diagnosis without remedy. But the gospel without law is only the good news of salvation for people who don't believe they need it because they have never heard uh, the bad news of judgment. Listen, today the church needs to stand upon no other doctrine. We need to be faithful to the word of God. We need to be faithful to God's word. Let's stick to the full counsel of God's word. Let's make sure that we're re reading the Old Testament. It's not two different gods, Old Testament, New Testament. Let's read the heart of God through his letter, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We've got to be men and women of the word. There should be no bigger priority than teaching the full counsel of God's word. And so we need to stick to that. And as well as from the pulpits, from our own ears, from our own hearts, See, salvation comes by hearing and believing in the word. Everything else is contrary to sound doctrine. Your lives and my lives are going to be changed, not by keeping the law, but by understanding the power that comes in the word of God when accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to take those things like anger, those things like 
lust, those things like whatever, drinking, smoking, whatever, eating, whatever the case may be. But it comes when we have the full counsel of God's word. So as Paul told Timothy, remain there, Timothy, remain. You and I this morning, may we remain in the word of God and remain in our Ephesus, no matter what that is, and let God deal with the things that he wants to deal with. If you're here this morning, you're watching online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this morning is the morning you come and give your life to him. You come and give your life to him. He loves you and cares for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.